This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Back into the thick of club football on the Gagan Pod this week. We've got Michael Bridges joining us fresh out of the Premier League commentary box, along with another former Premier League star, Thomas Sorensen, and former Matilda Amy Duggan. We've got the North London Derby and Manchester Derbies to talk about, the sack race heating up, a heap of Aussies overseas, and plenty going on in women's football too. I'm your host, Teo Pelizzeri. This is the Optus Sport Football Podcast. Let's get in to the Gegenpot. Yes, it's a full house on the Gegen Pod this morning. We have former Matilda Amy Duggan and former Premier League stars Michael Bridges and Thomas Sorensen. We love to get the show started with a bit of the best of the weekend. So, Amy Duggan, what was your best moment of the weekend? Well, I think it was watching Erling Haaland's interview with Gary Neville where he says... I don't know, if I time my runs right, no one can stop me and I'm ready for the game. And then he comes out and scores a hat-trick, his third hat-trick. And I just can't help but think we're watching something super special here. You know, down the same street again, Haaland, of course, but uh, I think Lewandowski as well, I think got to be mentioned. I think, you know, scoring six games now in a row, nine goals in seven, I think... You know, he's, for all the hype and, and question marks about his age going to Barcelona, I think he's been absolutely crucial for them. And, and uh, Xavi came out and said, uh, you know, he just scores and uh, we, we expect goals from him and, and he just delivers every week and got the winning goal again this weekend. And I'm going to throw one more name in the hat and that's Phil Foden. I thought Manchester City, Haaland, Man City, absolutely incredible performance in the derby. Loved, loved every minute of it. And I'm going to go out and say, I think this team can do the Arsenal and become the Invincibles, but do it with more points and more goals. Bold prediction. We will loop around <laughs> to it. But Bridgie, I want to start when we talk Premier League with a game that didn't give us so many goals, but it did give us plenty of you because our Optus Sport viewers were very excited to hear you on the world feed coming through from the game between Leeds and Aston Villa. Long may this continue, mate. What was the uh, the story there? Yeah, it was nice to be asked by PLP. Um, obviously, we cover the Premier League productions over. We are the, the right holders for the Premier League in Australia. And it goes out all over the world. And I was just asked if I would like to do some co-commentaries with Jim Proudfoot for the Leeds United Aston Villa game. I jumped at the opportunity and um, I do believe their listening and viewing figures went down dramatically after my insight. But I really enjoyed it um, and looking forward to doing it. I've also got the Newcastle versus Everton game on the 19th at St. James's Park. So I must have done something right to get offered back. So we'll wait and see. Uh, but living, really enjoyed living it. Living a life, Bridget. Living a life. Living a life. And I love your bias too, Bridget. <laughs> <laughs> we need a Gegen Pod plug live on air. That'll that'll really uh, seal the deal. So let, let's start with that game though, because you were there in person to watch it, Bridgie. And there was a bit of criticism for Jesse Marsh coming out of this game that he got a bit too emotionally overinvested in the game. He was complaining about the snail's pace. You had the first-hand observation of it. What did the impression of the game leave you with? 
Well, Jesse wasn't actually on the sideline because East was still serving his band. He was doing it from um, from the grandstand with his analysis team. So he's getting like a bit more of an insight into the game, having a look at the computer analysis and things like that. Now, he has done that in the past um, with his previous clubs, so it wasn't anything new to him. But he was getting very, very animated and very annoyed at the tactics and the delaying tactics of Aston Villa, which I've got to say, Lampard did a very similar thing with Everton when they came to Elland Road. And I think what teams are realising, Leeds play with a high intensity, a pressing game, and they want to get everything down and play fast. Lampard really ruffled the feathers of Jesse Marsh. Lampard, I rated him and give him st- stuff on the sideline constantly win the Everton game and I think a lot of other managers are realising now if we can delay the tactics of Leeds United and take Jesse Marsh's mindset away from the tactics that in the drive towards his players and we can really disrupt him and the style of play teams are coming away from Melland Road with the results uh, you know they're getting points and it was Aston Villa's first points on the road so you know I'm hoping Jesse Marsh can take just just relax a little bit because I really like what he's all about. And if he starts getting involved in these nitty-gritty and lets the opposition managers get the better of him, he's on a hiding to nothing, really. It's funny that you say Gerard and Lampard have frustrated them now with their tactical approach. Like He did say post-game he was really proud of his team, that they fought like lions, but he wants to see more aggression, more confidence, more go-forward from his side. But if you watch those two games, Bridgie, other teams are going to do this to him now. He asked his team for no frustration, yet hypocritically stood there and obviously <laughs> let it out himself. Um, but other clubs will do this on purpose now. Um, and you've got to remember too, they went down, of course, um, silly from Sinestra being on a yellow card of, as well. But I think um, I think if you are a coach coming there playing against Leeds, you're going to do the same thing now because you know it works. Yeah, and, and and as a as a coach, you you deploying different tactics. Like uh, when I was at Stoke, you know, we we used to pull everything out of the bag to to try to disrupt the the opposition, and you know, <laughs> you know, and they they try to do it to us. You know, we we were playing at West Ham. They they put in the the advertising boards of Roy Delap couldn't make long throws, and we grew the grass when Chelsea was coming, uh, so they couldn't play. You know, so all these things, and you just got to overcome it. And I think Jesse Marsh, I think. You know he's got to, you know he's got to compose himself and and um, you know try to find some something that counteracts it. What I will say before the game though, if you were Stephen Gerrard and you're coming to Ellen Road and you haven't won on the road all season, your three matches, he would have taken a point beforehand after looking at the amount of chances <laughs> that they created and did not score. He's going away scratching his head, thinking, "How did we not win that game?" So it was it was a strange game. It wasn't the greatest of games. There was a there was a lot of chances, but I thought the finishing from Aston Villa, especially Ollie Watkins, who hasn't scored against Leeds in eleven games now, I thought it was really really. Uh, shambolic performance from the from the front man. Well, let's go to a game that did give us some goals. It was the North London derby, and Bridgie, I've got to start with you again because as no, you don't. As Arsenal were staying top of the league. <laughs> no, I do. Yes, I do because the heat is a bit on Antonio Conte after this. What did you make of Spurs' approach to the game, and uh, what did you make of them not necessarily passing this big test? Right, you talk about me being biased. Here you go, Amy. Right, look, hands on heart. <laughs> Tottenham, I do not want to talk about them. All I will say is we just went with a defensive 5-4-1. It was absolutely horrible. At moments, we had 11 men inside our own penalty area, or me, or 10, and Harry Kane not. I'm not going to go down that road and say we played, because that is the style. Conte is looking for a counter-attack. Arsenal were absolutely 
magnificent. Yes, I did say that. Arsenal were absolutely magnificent. They destroyed Tottenham from start to finish. They were winning second balls inside their half, actually inside the final third of Tottenham's defending unit. And I just thought it was a special moment to think how far Arteta has come with this team when he could have been sacked a few seasons ago. I just really enjoyed watching them and I never thought I would say that. There you go. Yeah, I, th- I think Arsenal's been, uh, you know, the change from, you know, the talks of Arteta, you know, had to leave uh, when he started his tenure to where they are now. I think I think the massive difference is, is the resilience and the consistency they have now because that, that was the... The big criticism for many years that Arsenal was soft; they didn't have any, you know, spine, and they were spineless, and and all these things. And um, you know, just just seeing them coming back, I think that's the third game in a row where they've gone down. They they, they come back, um, and and that's 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 part of a, a championship-winning team. I think they can go all the way and and push Man City. Might not pip them, but it's going to be a, a good battle to see if uh, you know they at the moment look like the team that 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 can do it. And some goal by Thomas Party, by the way. It was beautiful. But back oh. to, to Conte, because obviously, you know, he's received a lot of criticism over the last couple of weeks. And, um, you know, he came out firing on Monday night. His answer to the recent criticism was to remind everyone of what he has achieved previously, what he's won previously. And he's pretty much asking fans to trust him and the process that he's, he's on. I don't feel like you're there, Bridgie, by the way. Um, but he also says, fans, just remind yourselves that you're fans. And I think he's pretty much in inferring there that you're not the coach you can't coach and rightly the decisions that he makes are his um you know there's been calls for spence to come back in uh, or to come in we should say because he hasn't played but he doesn't think he's ready yet and i think as a coach that's been around the traps that long i know it's difficult to watch bridgie um obviously something needs to change but when you've got a coach of that caliber you have to trust him do you not Yes, you do, and I think the players um, at his disposal. I just thought it was too, it was too defensive, especially going down three. They could not get in the game. They couldn't control the game with the possession. They couldn't control the game in the style that he likes to play with the counter attack with the players that are on the field. And I just felt when you you know change something up, let's have a little, let's have a have a go. And I don't know whether he was worried about conceding more goals. That's why he kept the back five. So um, I, yeah, I was so disappointed. But again, I don't want to say oh we were so bad as in Spurs because Arsenal were magnificent. So yeah, uh, the the it was total domination. What would you change though? You know, well, like again, you got Bissouma on the bench, and, and Amy talked about Dave Spence. You know, well, you know, you you got Hoiberg and Bentecourt in the middle. You know, they they're they're good, solid. Uh, you know, they can pass the ball around, but they're not dynamic midfielders. Uh, and, and I think, is it not just Conte looking at the team and looking what he's got, and uh, maybe not trusting the the players that's been brought in quite yet to 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 be changed? I would have released another centre back, taken one off, putting a like an attacking midfielder to join the front three. Um, or I would have pushed the wing backs on as high and wide as I could have done and, and really tried to get that front five um, a bit like what Manchester City do in a different way, but Liverpool do with their full backs. I would have really liked to see them bomb on. And like you see, you've still got the defensive safety of the three centre halves and two sitting midfielders who you've just mentioned, Benton, Kern, Heuberg. We just did not, um, Heuberg, sorry, we just did not do that, Tommy. We, we were so scared to try and get out and put numbers forward in case we got smashed. Well, they play an informed Brighton next, so oh, <laughs> preparing <yeah>. for that. <laughs> Game on. <laughs> 
All right, we'll leave Tottenham and Arsenal there for now. Let's move on to the Manchester derby. And, of course, Erling Haaland, three goals, two assists, smashing all the records. Thomas, if you were in goal and Erling Haaland was <laughs> in the I'm opposition, <laughs> well, what would you be shouting at your defenders? Is there anything you could shout? I mean, you, you played for Premier League teams who were, who were masters of preparation and organisation. How do you even prepare for this guy? Ah, uh, you know, it, it, it's tough. You know, again, I think, you know, in my time in the Premier League, there, there was other, like, really good players. And, and, you know, we, you know, I played against Terry Henry when, when he was at the top of his game at Arsenal. And, and you know about all the qualities, uh, you know what he can do, but, you know, you, you just can't stop it. And, and I think it's similar to Haaland. I think it's, it's about damage limitations. You know, you, you'll try to take some things out of his game, you know, maybe, you know, the passing lanes, uh, you, know, you, you know, you talked about the communication. I think as a goalkeeper, it's, you know, looking at the goals against Man United, I think there was a lot of times where the defenders are, are not watching where he is. Now, they're, they're just ball watching. And, and you've got to be, you know, you've got to be tracking his runs. You've got to communicate. If, if he runs into the box, midfielders should be passing him on, making defenders aware. So, so I think it, it's, it's something that probably... I think defenses in the Premier League will adjust to and, and they'll get better at, at covering him. But, you know, he's so powerful and so strong and so smart uh, getting in the right spots that, um, yeah, you, you'll just try to limit him as much as you can. Uh, and then you've got the problem that he plays in an actually really good team. So even if you took him out of the game by man-marking him, you know, you got, as I said, with Foden, De Bruyne, you, you can name it. They, they've got plenty of other players who can damage. Tommy, you played in teams that had a lot of hard physical players that weren't afraid to walk the line of what was fair and not fair. Is Haaland the sort of player that you can even try to rough up? The sort of player that strategic fouling could even possibly work on? Uh, you know, he seems like a very calm, uh, composed player. You know, for, even for his young age, I think... You know, I remember when we was uh, at Stoke and, and, you know, I was talking about some of the tactics we deployed uh, earlier. But, you know, I remember playing Diego Costa with, with Chelsea and, and he was that sort of player that, uh, you know, he was powerful and strong and, and could ruin a game for you. Uh, but we, we managed to get under his skin. And I remember it cost Peter Crouch at one point uh, a full rack of teeth uh, because he, he lashed out and got sent off. Uh, uh, but but, but you, we, we could get under his skin. And there are certain players you sort of recognize that, 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 that you can. But Haaland just seems... He, he goes about his business in a, such a professional way. It, oof, um, I don't think it'll be... And again, with VAR and everything today, if you start like pulling shirts and you know kicking him off the balls stepping on his toes and whatever he can do yeah it's going to get it's going to get caught up i think uh, it's tough it's a tough era to to play a defender i think the only way you can have a good game against Haaland is if you are either suspended or you decide to throw an injury and you don't want to play against him because <laughs> he's the he's the best thing i've ever seen uh, uh, it's amazing it, it just the, the the lack of touches defies the amount of goals that he has scored like the most players have a dribble regime. and have, yeah, it's it's incredible, Amy. It's absolutely brilliant, and I mean that pass from De Bruyne in behind the Manchester United backline was superb. But the way he had to slide and then get a touch to score the goal from it was magnificent. But then he's got the ability to do the same when he played in Phil Foden for one of his goals. So not only is he, and not only is he is he strong in the air. Can he can he run? Is he powerful? Yes, he is. He can find a pass as well, whether that's inside the area or set up with the teammates. So I do not know 
what his weakness is yet, um, and I don't think we'll find one because he is the all-round specimen. I think the only weakness you're going to find in him is if he gets injured, Bridgie, and I think we've seen that previously. Um, I, I was going back through his records, you know, and we talked at the beginning of the season about those records coming and how many games he'd played and how many goals he'd scored and the time uh, where that drops off is where he sits on the bench. But outside that, he hasn't really been out of form per se. So it's really only when he's injured that, that you're going to, you know, have a crack uh, <laughs> at stopping him, which is kind of crazy when you think about it. And you're right, you, you know, you can't be playing this guy off the ball. His mindset is so extreme. It's almost like he has his head in the clouds, but it's not because he's just so focused and um, just, as you said, Tommy calm and composed and just takes everything with a big grin. And uh, he's obviously making great relationships and friendships within this team, which I think strengthens his position even more. Uh, the respect he has for, you know, for, for Foden and for De Bruyne and them mucking around after, you know, splitting the splitting the award on the weekend, I thought was just absolutely outstanding. He's, he's really fitted into the team. And I think that's just helping him go from strength to strength. But ultimately, you're right. It's the efficiency and the timing of his runs that he just and the power in the air and his speed. And I'll just keep going because the list just keeps getting longer. <laughs> well, but, I mean, the one, um, Amy, the yeah. one everybody's talking about in the UK is the third hat trick, obviously, in succession. You mentioned early on at home but he's done it within eight games in the Premier League and you're talking about people like Michael Owen, Thierry Henry, Alan Shearer I think Michael Owen did it's it like in like 50 40... games to do that I know and that is the scary that is what everybody is talking about over here the the how quick he's got that how quick he's breaking records and how in the the thing that everybody loves is his dad in the stands because his dad Alfie played the game I played with his dad at Leeds United and his dad the way he laughs when his son scores goals as much as say how does he make it look so easy when it's it's not and that that's the moment that captures me when I see his dad in the stands with a smile on his face high five and everybody just thinking when's this going to end and long may it continue let's flip the focus to manchester united then do Amy, we have to wouldn't have been we we do yes so Brid- Bridgie went through the ringer on spurs now it's your turn on man united would you rather start talking about casemiro's absence from the midfield or cristiano ronaldo being left on the bench because it seems as though every time eric ten hag makes a difficult decision there is an instant response to it regardless of who the people are yeah, well, McTominay and Ericsson got overrun, so Casemiro would have just been shaking his head, wouldn't he? Um, I don't know. People are saying, like, he's a five-time Champions League winner. How can you leave him sitting on the bench? You've got, like, 300 million pounds sitting sideline during that game. It's a little bit crazy when you think about it. Um, uh, I don't know. The, the only the only feedback I, I can kind of gather, um, you know, from the – the Manchester United fandom, and you can talk about respect or you like, I don't think it has anything to do with it. I think Ten Hag's just gone with who he's gone with and, and what he thinks is best is that Casemiro is struggling to fit in. There, there were questions around his mobility and his fitness a little bit um, and the fact that he's not adapting well to the players around him. I think when you look at like the one start in four months, we'll forget about the nutmeg that happened. I think he's played, you know, four appearances. Um, it's also not good for him heading into a World Cup either. And, and the question I, I guess I ask of the coach is if his match fitness is um, is one of the reasons that he's sitting bench, how do you get match fit with no top quality matches? Um and I think on the flip side too, we, we have to talk about the ego side of these big names on the bench because I tell you what, I'd, I'd love to hear some of those conversations. <laughs> Go yeah, on, no, Tommy. I, I, 
Yeah, no, I, I think I don't think uh, game fitness is the problem. I think he played two games over the last international window for for Brazil. Um, I think Ten Hag came out and said that if you know they won, you know when he signed, they actually went on a four four game winning run. And I think you know I've been in teams as well. Like managers love to honor you know a winning team, and and I think in hindsight we sit here and say, yeah, okay, you know, well, how can he play? How can he not play in front of McTominay? You know, so it's a dilemma for for Ten Hag, and I think he just you know he went with the the winning combination of of the last four weeks, and and obviously it backfired. And you know we can we can be sure that uh, Casemiro will start the next game for sure. I think that that's uh, that's a definite. Ronaldo is a is a whole nother uh, issue. I think, you know that that that's where the, that's where his big problem lies. I think you know just trying to handle that. So a question from me for all three of you is regarding the Ronaldo situation, sitting on the bench, and Ten Hag saying he didn't want to disrespect Ronaldo by bringing him on late in the game when the game was gone. So if he doesn't want to disrespect him and he's not good enough to start in your eleven, what what the hell what the hell is he doing there? Like. I'd, I, I just don't get the manager's comments. I know he's trying. I know what he's trying to say, but I just think it's. I, I just. I don't get it. I do not understand it. Yeah, I, I think. Uh, yeah, and I think the way he said it was was wrong. I think he he opened himself to. He opened a little bit of a can of worms there by 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 mentioning his career and not trying to not wanting to to disrespect him and all this. Uh, but I, yeah, but he, I think he bigged he, him up in the same sentence, Tommy. But then, if he's not yeah. good enough to start, then why? What's he doing on the bench? I think deep down, Ten Hag really, you know, would be happy if, if Ronaldo wasn't there. I don't think he fits in his long-term plans. Um, you know, again, he, he's he's a he's a good player uh, for sure, and he still is. But I think for what he's trying to do and, and the team he's trying to build. Uh, and the distractions that Ronaldo brings, I, I think that's that's that that's a big problem for for United and and for Ten Hag. Is this a case of we don't want him, but we don't want anyone else to have him? Uh, yeah, but yeah. I don't yeah. think they could get rid of him. I think that's the the issue. Like you know, too expensive. Yeah. Yeah, and, and he he's been critical. I think he had chances to go you know elsewhere, but but again, he he still feels that he's he's Ronaldo. So so you know again, that that sort of limits the market. I've got to say that it was great to see Man United get smashed. <laughs> enough, enough out of you, brother. Enough. <laughs> I did say before that game, by the way, it's a very different case of who you support and who you think will win. So you know, I wasn't blind walking into this. Well, Eric Ten Hag is not under any immediate pressure for his job, just week to week questioning. However, in the sack race, we've seen Bruno Large gone from Wolves, who now sit in the relegation zone. Nottingham Forest and Steve Cooper, they were hammered 4-0 by Leicester. So, Bridgie, I'll come to you first. Is Brendan Rodgers off the hot seat at Leicester? Uh, Steve Cooper, are we expecting bad news to drop for him soon? And Wolves, just how much relegation danger are they in now that they've had to sack their manager? Yeah, well, I think Wolves have definitely hit the panic button because of the the lack of goals that they have been scoring, the lack of chances they've created and the goals they've been leaking. And to think that the best player on the park, who still looks about three stone overweight at this moment, is Diego Costa. He was the he was the standout for me, he, um, but he still looks unfit. So that was that's a big issue. So I think they've they've hit the panic button. They've um, I think a lot of the players, from what I'm hearing over here, weren't happy with the training regime. Um, I mean that that happens quite a bit when you're at the bottom of the the table. But I think he's found it hard to, to galvanise them and keep them together. They, they turned. 
Um, and the, the here's one for you. I mean, the big sign about the Wolves manager's job is um, Lopetegui from Sevilla. <laughs> the big talk that he could be coming in. So, I mean, they're having the worst start they've ever had in their history. So I don't know where that name's come from. Um, I know George Mendes. Probably because he knows he's getting sacked and he's looking for a well, new job already. There you go. There's definitely something going on, Amy. George <laughs> Mendes has got a really good connection. A, a few other Portuguese managers have been mentioned. So that's that scenario. The Brendan Rodgers one. I thought Leicester's performance the other night was absolutely superb. They they look back to their best. You might say, yes, is it Nottingham Forest? They really, really played well. They were pressing. They kept the ball. Um, and Madison doing what he does best. His stats are out the roof. He'll definitely get a massive move um, in January. I know Newcastle are coming knocking again. They couldn't get him. I think they will get him in January. He will be gone. And I do think Brendan Rodgers will still be there um, after that performance. However, the Nottingham Forest guy, um, Cooper, will be gone. Uh, I think the amount of... There's a lot of talk that Jesse Lingard and the other couple of other players that he's brought in have disrupted the the dynamics in the dressing rooms because they're getting massive wages and the other players got them up and the amount of players that have come in they, they haven't gelled the dressing room is really really toxic so I think he, he will be gone very very soon and the talk it's Rafa Benitez over here mm. or Dash maybe yes I would like to see Sean Dash get it because um, I know I, I, I don't think Rafa Will do a job for Forrest, so he won't. He won't understand. I don't think he'll get the feeling for the for the place and what it's about. Whereas I think Sean Dyche will, and I think the fans will really embrace Sean Dyche. So I'm hoping it's the. I'm hoping it is the uh, Ginger Mourinho. I, I must say, like in regards to to Nottingham Forest, I, I, I don't think it's any surprise. You know, like, uh, you know, you, you got such they had such a good dynamic. You, you got all the players that that got them to the Premier League, and then you go out and and buy 21 players, thinking that grass is green on the other side. You know, we got a. And and who has brought all these players in? Is it Steve Cooper who said, nah, I need to totally clear out my squad. I need all these new players. Or, or is it someone from further above? And all that just brings, it changes the dynamic. And, and, and you know, it's no surprise to me that they're all over the place. And, and I feel for Steve Cooper a little bit because I think he's just been caught up in it. Uh, this Tommy, you know when we got promoted with Sunderland? Um, we went to the Premier League and uh, Peter Reid brought in a couple of players. He didn't. He, he, the players that got him there, he gave the opportunity to first to go and do that. Yeah. I think that was a huge thing because the, he felt like everybody deserved that opportunity to showcase themselves. And in the first few seasons, obviously I left the year after, the first few seasons, you know, there was odd signings came here and there, but you had an unbelievable run. Yeah, it was the same as Stoke, you know, when I was there. We, you know, I, I was brought in, there was a couple of others brought in, but mainly it was the same players. And, and we kept that team spirit that same same dynamic uh, and, and gave us some success I just think they lost a, a centre-back pairing that was uh, really important to them and then they you know they had to financially sell players and they've brought in all these new players and it's just not working they're just not gelled and to get that many new faces playing well together in a short period of time you know maybe you need some special personalities like you two before we move on to our, our last Premier League talking point Amy I just wanted to follow up Brendan Rogers. you've been on his case since pre-season is that, I'm, on, I'm on his side. Is that one result enough to get him off the hot seat or are Leicester still very much on the watch list in the sack race conversation? I think people are going to talk about it until they start stringing wins together. And when you're sitting you know, in the relegation zone or very close to it, every coach has their head on the chopping block generally, uh, unless you maybe weave in Newcastle, I suppose, last year. Like, you know, there was chat about that and then they went and spent like crazy and pushed themselves up the ladder. And by the way, Bridgie, they're doing very well, doing very well this season. Still on for top four. Um, 
<laughs> anyway, um, back to Brendan Rogers. Look, as I said, I feel for, I feel for him because um, you know there, there's no money. There's clearly no money at the club, um, or they're not willing to spend it if there is. And I actually don't think you know people said he would have walked by now if he wasn't happy, um, but he hasn't. He's still there. Um, if the window's going to happen, it'll be this international window, I think. But um, but but honestly, I don't think they can. I don't think they can afford to sack him, or that don't want to pay him out if they do. So I think they'll stick it out this season. And I'm on his team. I'm not against him. Let's move on to Liverpool three, Brighton three. Now we've left this until last because they have just defeated Rangers two nil in the Champions League this morning. And a couple of the big talking points that uh, Darwin Nunez had been stuck on the bench after coming back from his suspension and Trent Alexander-Arnold's defending had been a cause of vulnerability and yet Alexander-Arnold scored a marvellous free kick this morning and Nunez started. So do we have to separate Premier League form and a Champions League performance or is it all is forgiven as a result of their defeating Rangers 2-0 today? I think with Trent Alexander-Arnold, I think, you know, obviously a lot of criticism. And, and he hasn't looked good. I think, you know, some of the basic defending has has, has not been great uh, to the start of the season and, again, at the back end of last year as well. Um, but but that, that's the dilemma. As a, you know, you've got one of the best attacking right-backs, you know, in the world. Uh, and he's going to bring you plenty of assists, plenty of goals. Uh uh, and that has to be a dilemma somewhere. But I think they, they obviously got to work on his, his confidence defending and just some of the basics, you know, how, how do you, you know, body shape in the box, you know, you know being aware of defenders, uh, you know, just getting the right angles when you defend. I think, you know, the, the goal, the first goal, obviously he gets turned and, and he doesn't look great. Uh, so, so I think there's, you know, there, there's some issues, but, you know, I think it's well overblown. I, I think, you know, pl- you know, now everyone's just piling on him, a little bit like Maguire, you know, just... And I think it's a little bit unfair. I think it, 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 you, you can't have the best of both worlds with a player like that. You've got to give a little bit in some areas. And, and he's not going to be a world-class defender ever. But no, he's, he's going to give he's not gonna be. He's not going to be world-class because they brought him in for what he does in attack, right? And what he does yeah. in attack is outstanding. There's no doubt about that. But you also have to find the balance. And he, let's just remember, he's only young. He's not, you know, he, he might be seasoned, but he's only young. And I think there's still opportunity to learn. And I, I agree with you, Tom. He's, you know, he, he's. I don't think he's switched on in those what-if moments when the ball is not in his quarter or, or in you know, when his team is in possession, he's not switched on. He, he's ball-watching a little bit. Um, you know, some pundits have said this might be good for him, that if he doesn't get selected for the World Cup, he should see it as an opportunity to spend that six weeks um, working on those deficiencies that are costing him and costing his team. You you can improve those things. They're teachable. I guess that's the point, right? Um, yeah. But you're right. He's there for his for his attacking prowess, but he has a job to do as a defender. And so if you know that and you know it's deficient, you need to work on it and fix it. This is where Jurgen Klopp is a special, special man and a special manager. He came out and instead of agreeing with all the journalists and saying, yeah, he's a bad defender and all this, he came out and said he's been performing badly because I give him license to go forward and play as a winger. I want the best out of him as an attacker 
Trent will show his qualities. He's saying we get exposed all the time in the fullback areas. Teams are trying to do it. And and what I've noticed this season with Liverpool is that you've got your Henderson and your Fabinho or Henderson and Thiago. They've been playing really high as well. So in the transition moments, the two centre-halves have been left totally by themselves, whereas in the past that hasn't happened. In the game tonight against Rangers, Henderson and them really stayed defensive and kept, kept as I call it, a defensive block of four at the back. And it allowed Trent to go on. And he's had an absolutely unbelievable game there um, in the Champions League. And I think it benefits from Jurgen Klopp not hanging him out to dry. Telling the journalist why it is that he's why it is that he's not defensive minded at times because Klopp gives him the license to go forward. And I just thought it was a brilliant explanation to basically say to everybody, like, just zip it, because if I wanted to play him as a tucked in fullback defensively, he would be better, but we wouldn't get the product in the final third. So um I think that performance from Trent today stems back to his manager, and that's why I really, really admire Jurgen Klopp as a manager for his mannerisms and his man management. It's good to know that they've got his back. Yeah, isn't it? Continuing on with the Champions League, and that'll take us into some of our La Liga chat as well, because we've seen Barcelona go down today, losing 1-0 to Inter Milan, who packed the midfield and uh, had VAR come to their aid on what could have been a potential Barcelona equaliser, but Hakan Chalinoglu scores the only goal, Inter win 1-0, and Barcelona, they went top of La Liga for the first time in 833 days at the weekend, but they've had a sour taste left in their mouth by getting rolled at the San Siro this morning. And a huge bounce back, by the way, at the San Siro because of uh, they got smashed off Roma midweek. So that was a huge defeat. You know, <laughs> seeing Mourinho... Uh, watching Mourinho sitting on the bus watching his team knowing that he wasn't on the sideline and they get a result that really hurt Inzaghi so then tonight to get that result over Barcelona it's huge um, and, and and it's just yeah like you say Barcelona top of La Liga doing fantastic things I'll judge them in two weeks time when we see El Clasico when they take on Real Madrid uh, they're under a bit of pressure now in, in you know they're obviously third in the group you know you got obviously Bayern Munich uh, clear top and, and they're now <laughs> You know they're they're a little bit behind now, and you, you know with all the money spent, they and and part of that is that they have to go far in the Champions League. So it'll be interesting. Well, do they? You know, I guess you got to look back at history, and data tells us a lot. Xavi Hernandez has not yet, as a Barca manager, won a big European match on the road, um, and I think you know there's obviously there's obviously going to be talk about that, but. Um, just remember, top of the La Liga, what is it, 833 days? It's only on goal difference. Don't get too excited. And like you, Bridgie, I'm looking forward to El Clasico two weeks away, October 17. <laughs> Optus Sport, tune in. It's early in the morning, but it'll be worth it. Well, the other La Liga big focus uh, includes Real Madrid, who uh, didn't play this morning, uh, so they will be playing after this podcast has come out. But they drew at home against Osasuna, dropped points that allowed Barcelona to jump them at the top of La Liga. And Tommy, uh, Karim Benzema, even though we all expect he's going to be winning the Ballon d'Or in two weeks' time, his penalty is the reason that Real Madrid uh, gave up their perfect record because he whacked it into the crossbar. And Osasuna probably then had some really good chances to win the game themselves so Madrid a little bit off the boil compared to the previous form they'd shown us yeah no they've been brilliant up up until this point me and Amy had it on uh, the highlights this weekend and big storyline was obviously Benzema missing uh, that penalty you know he is human after all he, he's he's been on a great streak and uh, to be fair also sooner uh, you know they played really well had a couple of chances uh, you know took their goal really well that that flicked on header was was tremendous 
So, um, you know, these things happen. And uh, Real Madrid, again, should have won the game. But, you know, they, again, will measure themselves at the El Clasico in a couple of weeks. That That's going to be the big one. And one other La Liga point. Sevilla also playing uh, tomorrow. So their situation, they are now one point above the relegation zone. Uh, Julian Lopetegui, as you flagged earlier, perhaps being linked to Wolves because he knows he's about to lose his job. But this was a serial winner. Sevilla had been such a good team for such a long time. How does this disappear overnight, Bridgie? Why is it that a team that has the winning formula, a great sporting director, a successful coach, what is the sort of thing that can cause it to go from from gold to dust in a, a matter of two months? Do you know what it is? I don't think he knows his best start in eleven. If because that the first three or four match of the season, the back line changed from a back four to a back five, back to a back four. There was changes in and out. And this game this weekend, obviously when they've got smashed, the 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 basically the back three were substituted. The defensive midfielder Delaney was substituted because he was disgusted with the amount of times that the opposition were allowed to get in and get in behind the defenders. I just don't. Th- I think he's totally disjointed. Uh, And, you know, he hasn't been known for that in the past with his football and pedigree as a manager. And I I just feel there's a lot of players there are disgruntled because they they don't know whether they're coming or going. And when you get that kind of atmosphere in a a dressing room, which I have been in, I'm not going to name the team, but I was in there when it was disgruntled um, because we didn't, you were chopping and changing week in, week out. You didn't, you couldn't get any consistency. I think that's been the issue because you, you know you're clutching at straws to try and find a solution. Yeah, their centre-back pairing needs to be sorted out and they, you know, they're in need of a striker. Um, Isco's not providing them, I think, what they should have hoped. But in his defence, you know, <laughs> anyone in the front third is probably not getting the, the ball that they require at the moment. And the other thing is, I tell you, I think teams have learned to play against them as well um the style of play that they're trying to play if you can even call it that at the moment but I think teams have learned to play against them but I feel like I put the mockers on this team because I, I thought they were going to have a good season yeah. <laughs> it's like but on, on paper ever. I mean when you have a look at the squad I mean Rakitic can't even get a game uh, and like he's one of my favorite players and he's, he's sitting on the bench coming on it as a substitute I just I just don't get it I do not get it so um I would like to see Lopetegui get the Wolves job so he can take them down and get them out of the Premier League and then Sevilla can stay in the league when they get a good manager all right on that note uh, we'll have a quick break here on the Gagan pod and come back and talk about the Australian game and also look at a bit of women's football as well stay with us wow nice yeah what you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on bomba socks underwear and t-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds yeah that plush and the best part, for every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Welcome back to the Gagan Pod. This week, we've got former Matilda Amy Duggan and former Premier League stars Thomas Sorensen and Michael Bridges. All right, let's get into a bit of Australian men's football. And we'll start with Garen Qualls' move to the Premier League. This happened at the end of last week. So exciting. We have a situation where he's going to have to get loaned out to find his work permit. But, Tommy, I wanted to come to you first. Moving overseas as a young man, an experience that you've been through yourself, but also trying to find that path 
to playing in the Premier League? Even though it might be a couple of years away, what does Garang Quoll have to do to actually see the field for Newcastle United? Yeah, no, I think it's it's super important that uh, you know he as a as a person as a, and as a player and everyone around him has a plan with Newcastle as well. You know, he's obviously been brought in for a reason. They see his talent, um, and yes, that that way forward from now till you know a couple of years, uh, that's that's crucial. You know, what does he need to work on? Where does he need to improve? Um, what kind of clubs will suit not just him but also you know, Newcastle. And, and so that planning is crucial because if you just go to Newcastle and, oh, you know, we'll loan you, into, you, know, loan you out to whatever, you know, then it starts to go pear-shaped. You end up in the wrong place. Uh, you might not be playing. So I think that needs to go on behind the scenes from all, all parts. And, and he, he needs to, you know, I'm not sure what the actual deal, um, the details of it, but, you know, he needs to demand uh, and his his sort of side needs to demand that these things are in place uh, and they have some sort of control as well of what's going on. So it'll be exciting. I think it's exciting for the young player. I think he, he's done extremely well. He, he's obviously talented. Um, so uh, so I'm really looking forward to seeing what, what, what goes on. But I, I presume, Bridgie, you might have a little bit of insight there at Newcastle. I just hope he gets the right advice like you were saying. It's, I think it's a great... Um, move for him after showcasing himself in the All-Stars game against Barcelona getting over here it's it doesn't mean he's made it by no means I mean it's just going to get harder now for him on a on a personal level on a on a footballer level because he's you know he's 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 got the media following him now and I hope he gets the right advice a bit like when Matty Ryan um did it when they went via clubs where they knew it was going to suit their style We've, I think we saw that with um, Erlen Haaland when he, he waited. They didn't jump. They did it the right way. Dortmund was the team for him to go to to progress his career in the right direction, a team that played to his strengths. Now he's gone to City. Um, I, I, I hope he does it the right way. I do know he's going to go back to the A-League for a stint, I do believe, and then go on loan um, in January to, I've heard, either put a team in Portugal or a team in, in Belgium. Um, I'm hoping it is Portugal. But if there's anything to go by, Dan Ashworth and the team at Newcastle United now, it's geared up in the right way. They'll be looking after him off the field um, and trying to make sure they get the right team for him to get the best out of him so he can get his work permit points and get him into Newcastle. But just to see him, he needs some advice. Just to see him, he was in with the Newcastle United fans and the picture was absolutely amazing. The fans have never... I don't think the fans have ever seen Newcastle United player in with the diehards at a home game. So he's already a superstar with the local Geordies over here because of what he did when he jumped in there with them. It was a magic moment. I think, uh, just backing up what you said, it feels like such a big win for him. But it, I think, in reality, it's a massive step. And the hard work and the harder work begins now because... You know, he's young, and let's talk about that because I think he's the the youngest soccer to go since Harry Kuehl left. So he's he's a baby in comparison to where we see players go. Um, it's a new environment. It's new people. It's new competitions. And we know it's cutthroat, right? So um, Gus Hiddink obviously spent some time in camp with him recently. Uh, his, his observations were really interesting. He said, 
He's speedy, um, but he still has a lot to learn. He'd like to see him, if he was his coach, to be more physical, to improve on his technique. Um, Obviously, he's a long-term project uh, for Newcastle as well. And, um, you know, he's ultimately just got to stay fit and uninjured and, as you said, get the right advice with the right attitude to move through um, the right steps to bring him back to the top. But support, confidence, help, and, and the right attitude is what, what he needs right now. This is the age, Amy, that players from Australia should be moving out if they're going to have a, a career in the big leagues in Europe. You can't be waiting until you're 22, 23. It's, it's past you by unless you've got something outstanding to offer. You know, Aaron Moy got in at a later stage. Fantastic. But that's the age you've got to move if you want to do it. And what people have found it hard to understand from the region I'm living in at the moment in Newcastle is that Everybody's been saying, oh, you've been in Australia. What's this guy like? How is he a superstar? And I'm like, whoa, 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 put the brakes on. This is like you just said there, Amy. It is, it's a bit of a long-term project. They see the potential. They want to invest in this kid to try and make it a dream come true and a reality for them to get, either get a superstar for Newcastle United or can they help him and move him on and make money themselves? And that's that's the project that it is. So I've, I've told everybody just to put the reins on and just relax a little bit over here, but enjoy enjoy the ride because this, this kid can do things. Let's talk about some other Australians overseas. Just quickly, I'll, I'll whip through these and you can pick out anything that caught your eye. Cam Devlin, unfortunately, sent off for Hearts as they got smashed 4-0 by Rangers. Tom Rogic got almost an hour on his debut for West Brom. There were goals for Keanu Backus and Martin Boyle. A clean sheet for Matty Ryan for Copenhagen. Uh, then we had Aziz Bayic. He got 90 minutes, but Dundee United lost. Sub-appearances for the likes of Strain, Jonro, McGree, Metcalf and Bailey Wright. And unfortunately for Awamabil, he was an unused sub. So in this countdown to the World Cup, a bit of a mixed bag for all the Australians over the weekend. But anything that particularly caught your eye is a good sign as the Socceroos count down to Qatar. Tom Rogic getting game time. Tom Rogic, I think, is crucial. I think it will be great to see him back in, in the Socceroos. Uh, but but Matty Ryan, I think, obviously keeping a clean sheet, the, the former number one keeper, Cabarra, is coming back from injury and he's been quite strong in the media to say that you know, like the number one spot is his and you know he, he should get back in the team. So... You know, there's been a bit of rumbling there on where the new manager, because the the former manager was sacked, where he was going to go. So, so I'm just happy to see that Matty Ryan is staying in there uh, and kept a clean sheet as well, just to silence, uh, you know, the, the the critics and and the other goalkeeper as well, because he ha- he has been quite loud in the media uh, since coming back. So so great to see that. All right, let's move on to the Australia Cup because sadly it has made international headlines for the wrong reasons. Football Australia issued a show cause notice to Sydney United for the infringements of code of conduct and ethics and that hearing will go on. We've heard from various groups condemning the behaviour of Sydney United's fans, whether it was uh, banners, chants, symbolism and also how the welcome to country uh, had a lot of noise going on as it took place out on the ground. Bridgie, not the look the game wanted. Like, it's pretty awful when you, you listen. I listen to, like, uh, Gabriel Marcotti and Julian Laron on the ESPN podcast. And to hear them talk about Australia, you know, you think, oh, this is new. And then it's two and a half minutes on what a disgrace the Australia Cup final was. And we just can't. We just can't win. I mean, what were your impressions from over there receiving this news sort of through international media? Do you know what it is? It, it, it's totally put a tarnish on all the clubs that are trying to get into this, to the so-called B-League and trying to make the game better and get promotion and relegation. 
and you've got the FFA Cup for a reason, you know. We, and to get a team outside of the, you know, the the A League into the grand final, it was a chance to showcase the opportunity. And all that club has done, or the the, the fans, not not the club. Sorry, I shouldn't condemn them so much. But the the fans that were involved in what went on is just totally tarnished everything. And you know, being over here and having having said to a lot of people, oh, you've got to watch this. This is what the FA Cup's all about over here. The FFA Cup in Australia, we're going to, you're going to see a non-league or a non-professional team in the final against Dwight York's team. It was it was big hype. And all the messages that I got was, that is a disgrace. The way they showcase themselves, the fans, it was a disgrace. They've let your country down. They've let your nation down. And it's a massive backward step for football in Australia. And I hope that the people, the numbnuts that did it, are hung out to dry and basically humiliated. Because I think it's bang out of order in this the the world we live in at this moment in time. It's I I was mortified, absolutely mortified. Yeah, I think you know, uh, absolute disgrace. Uh, I can only agree with you, Bridgie. I think you know, you know it, it's then again bombing, you know, the Australian football, uh, you know, back ten years. You know, you, you know, we're looking to to progress everything. You know, there's so much going on with the A League. You know, money being invested, uh, and then this happens. And 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 again, you're talking about the the whole system trying to be revamped with relegation, and you know, it, it's just uh, an absolute disgrace. And I agree, these people should be uh, you know hunted down and and at least made made accountable. All the hard work people are putting in behind the scenes at the FFA in all these football clubs, the money that's invested. Um, all the volunteers that are trying to showcase and, and get the code in Australia to the highest possible place. Every other code was watching our grand final, rubbing their hands, going, oh, here we go. They've just absolutely flogged themselves yet again. And we, we you know, the, the AFL, the NRL, they've come out on top yet again for this minority of absolute idiots. So um, give yourselves a massive round of applause if people are involved. Um, sort yourselves out. On the field... Daniel Arzani was influential as MacArthur were able to win the tournament. And I'll roll this into uh, our last question on the uh, the Aussie men's football topic, which is, what are you looking forward to in the A-League this season? But I'm going to steal Daniel Arzani because even if it's only 25 minutes to half an hour a game, he is a reason to turn on and watch. And he's making this outside run, very outside run at the World Cup squad. Who knows what's possible? But I think that's what I'm looking forward to the most. Just quickly around the table, uh, Tommy, what are you looking forward to the most this A-League season? No, I think just the competitiveness. I think, you know, victory, definitely back. I think Nani is a, is a great signing. Brimmer. Dia Castino, I think it's going to be a force. Um, and, and then you got Adelaide, uh, you know, I think, you know, a, a lot of young players there and, and that's going to be exciting. Uh, Western United, John Aloisi and then Melbourne City. I think that there's a lot of teams and, and a young Central Coast side. Um, so I, th- I think it's going to be a really exciting A-League season. I'm excited. I can't wait for Friday. I'll be at uh, Amy Park watching the... The grand final replay. So, uh, and then with Amy, I think on uh, Saturday at, at Sydney, the the big blue. So, it's going to be a, a great week of A League football for me. I, I loved Arzani as well, um, Teo. I just thought he was wonderful to watch. He was just gliding past players, almost too good <laughs> to be part of that team. But ultimately, he's just out of touch at the moment, obviously couldn't finish those few chances. So let's hope that this uh, allows him an opportunity to 
to, you know, pick up where he left off from before he was injured and, and he gets right back on. But other things I'm looking forward to, um, see if Dwight York can keep up his sides trophy winning form. I think it's going to be an interesting managerial um, journey to follow this season. Uh, I want to see Jack Rodwell when he returns to Wonderland because when you're a turncoat in Sydney, look out, <laughs> you're in big trouble. Uh, Jason Cummings, um, as you said, and, and, and Arzani alike on all the players pushing for places in the Socceroos because they need to make this first, you know, five weeks super, super special. And then I think for me, um, as much as watching the, you know, the um, elite players that come in and the big name signings, I love just seeing who the next generation's surprise will be, you know, who is going to be the kid that comes into this league, gets a chance and just blows us all away. That kid will be Archie Goodwin. There you go. Watch this space. My Newcastle Jets man. <laughs> um, that, and I agree with you. I want to see if Dwight York can um, obviously win in the FFA Cup. I want to see if he can go and, and get the minor premier and then the grand final in his first season. That would be um, incredible. And another another coach that I'm looking forward to that I've got very fond memories playing against and um, got a good relationship with them as Nick Montgomery or Central Coast Mariners because I don't care where they finish in the league I just love the fact that they're turning players over and getting them into clubs overseas to give these kids futures when it's all being done in the right manner that the club are making something from it the fans understand what it's about and um, they're helping them progress and he's a, he's a great mentor for them going forward well plenty of talking points to consider over the course of the season and for those of you interested in the Australia game don't forget the men's under 17s team the Joeys are hosting China, Cambodia and the Northern Mariana Islands in Shepparton a town close to my heart and Amy's as well I would say in the AFC under 17 qualifiers it actually starts if you're listening to the podcast on wednesday today let's flip over to women's football now and talk about the matildas by the time we report record the podcast next week they will have played both south africa and denmark sadly though this morning it has been confirmed that kaya simon has suffered a torn acl more than anyone is now in a race against time to make the world cup squad emily van egmond and tamiki yallop also out of the matildas squad amy Last time we spoke, it was about getting the band back together. Clearly, since then, more injuries, and in Kaya Simon's case, a really heartbreaking one. Yeah, to- oh, it's it's actually shattering for Kaya. You know, we watched her be carried off um, in that clash in the game against Reading. Um, we've been waiting for the confirmation because that's what it looked like. Kaya probably would have known she's had this injury before. Uh, she's also had a couple of shoulder reconstructions. I feel like her... Uh, her journey has just been, and it probably is for most elite athletes, but interrupted by some serious injuries. And this is this is a real shame um, for Kai. We're looking forward to having her back on the pitch in this series for the first time in a little while. And obviously she won't be part of that, but we do wish her all the best in their recovery. And um, it's a real race against time. But, you know, as you said, if anyone can do it, it probably is her. Um, M Van Egmont and Tamika out injured. That You know, that's a problem for us in the centre of midfield. But, um, you know, they've brought in Remy Seamson, Emma Checker, Matilda McNamara. I think it's a wonderful opportunity for these players. Um, it's nice. I think the fans will be happy to see Emma Checker back and have an out-and-out defender in there. Um, obviously, Alana's not with us either. So that makes it... Um, a little bit challenging in the back line. But, uh, you know, we touched on these two games 
last week, I think the girls were really happy not to have to travel long distances to get into camp. And, you know, a 50 minute train ride, I think it was for Steph Catley. And she was stoked to be in camp and feel fresh and be ready to go. So, um, you know, they'll put on hopefully a really great performance against both these sides. And, and, and we're looking forward to it being a confidence boost and, and um, watching some of our big stars hit the back of the net. And speaking of injuries, Mr. Injury Prone himself wants to just talk about Kaya Simes because you said there she's been through situations before the ups and downs of an elite athletes. She'll know what it takes to get back. I'm just, and there's no more incentive needed than getting yourself back for the World Cup. So at least she has got something to focus on and work and strive so hard to get. I think if the World Cup hadn't been there, it could have been a real, you know, like a real big issue with everything that's going on, you know, when you get injured mentally. Um, but I think now that she's got something to go for, I think that could be the, you know, a, a great incentive. And hopefully we do see her back in time for that because she's a cracking player. And she and she's got time. I think that's that's the great thing. In this day and age, like the surgery and everything has moved on so much, and the the, the you know the, the training after. So you know that I think that's positive. I think she should make it. Uh, fingers crossed. Talking about goal scorers, Sam Kerr off the mark for Chelsea in their win against West Ham. But gee, Chelsea copped an absolute horror draw in the UEFA Women's Champions League. <laughs> they went out in the group stage last season, and this season they've managed to draw PSG, Real Madrid. And poor old uh, Vlasnia from Albania, uh, they will be on a hiding to nothing against all three of these teams. But Amy, gee, it's a test for Emma Hayes and Chelsea because after going out in the group stage last season, they wouldn't want to bomb out without even making it to the knockouts again this season. Well, post getting knocked out, Emma said they were just happy to focus on what they were doing as a club and, you know, winning and going right to the top. And they obviously achieved that, which is... Um, which is great for her. But I reckon I reckon her response to this would be, well, to be the best, you've got to beat the best, so we might as well do it early. That's kind of, the I think, the way that she would approach it. Um, I don't think it's insurmountable, Teo, with the way that uh, especially some of her English players are playing at the moment. Um, you know, we we're, were a bit out on Sam because she hadn't been the superstar of this team at the moment, but some of her English uh, players coming off that win at the Euros have just been in super fine form and, and it's, you know, that is a team full of stars and if they are fit and firing, I, I think um, they'll be okay. Sam Kerr gets to play against Lydia Williams too, which is exciting because she'll be starting in goal for PSG. So it's going to be an Australian striker against Australia's number one keeper. Yeah, I, I love Lids, but good luck if Sam's on fire. No keeper can stop her when she's, um, when she's at her best. <laughs> And don't Not even you, the, Tommy. Don't forget the other Aussie <laughs> on the sideline and Tanya Oxbury. She's there, the foul mouth Tanya. She'll be effing and blinding <laughs> from the sideline. <laughs> She'll be stoked to hear that you've called her foul mouth, Bridgie. We did an Optus get together when we mic'd her up for an interview and she was doing a coaching session and we just had to go bleep, 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 bleep. So <laughs> it was a, you know, we did that. We did where, um, we're a license together and, you know, it was just lovely to, to spend time with her and I'm chuffed a bit where, where she has managed to get herself to and, and absolutely thriving on it. And I say they will go through with Barca. Speaking of other Aussies going head-to-head, Joe Monteburo's Juventus. He will coach against his former club, Arsenal, including Steph Catley and Caitlin Ford. But that group has Leon in it as well, and also Zurich. So it's another group of death situation, Amy. Uh, do you see any issues for Arsenal here, given that they did cut it fine, only squeaking through against Ajax in the qualifying round? 
Yeah, I, I think they'll be okay. Montemura will be interesting coming up against Steph and, and Caitlin at Arsenal because obviously he's coached them, um, and especially Steph down at uh, Melbourne City during his time there. Unfortunately, Leona obviously sends Ellie Carpenter. She's uh, back running, but not yet uh, at full fitness and playing. Um, as you said, you know it, it'll it'll be tough. I think they'll be okay. I'll I'll think that Arsenal will hit top of this group, and hopefully Juventus will come in second. Although Leon will definitely put up a, a top fight. All right, let's turn our attention to the weekend ahead very briefly because we've got the Premier League continuing. Daylight savings has arrived, so it does get a little bit later in the morning. 1am goal rush includes Chelsea, Newcastle and Manchester City, but then we've got Arsenal versus Liverpool Monday, 2.30am Australian Eastern Daylight Time and then Everton against Manchester United from 5am. Tommy, Arsenal v Liverpool, do you see the Gunners staying top of the Premier League with the result they need out of this one, given they have had some real issues with Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool over the journey? Yeah, um, you wouldn't bet against them. I think the way they, they, they're playing, the confidence, um, you know, I think they're short of the back line. Uh, Saliba and Ben White have played extremely well. So, uh, you know, I think it'd be a great test for Liverpool because they need something. You know, they, they need a, a change of fortune. The, the pressure would be more on them to, to get a result. Uh, so, so and Arsenal being at home, I think, uh, will be an advantage there. So, I could see Arsenal winning this one. I, I still think there's a little bit of vulnerability there at Liverpool. I don't think they're they're quite there yet. The backline hasn't been as great as it's been in the past. So, um, yeah, no, I'll, I'll be tipping Arsenal, but I'm be looking forward to what a game it's going to be. All eyes, I'm sorry, Taylor. All eyes from me is on Manchester City and Southampton. Can he go and do four hat tricks? <laughs> In a row at Come home. On. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised, man. Honestly, it's yeah. That all eyes yeah, he, he's, ca- he's captain in my manager team. He's captain in my manager team. Tommy, do you know what I did this weekend? It. So. it was going to be my worst moment of the week when Teo before at the start of the show and he said, "What's your best moment of the week?" The worst moment of the week was seeing my fantasy league team and me take Haaland out of my captain and putting James Madison in. Now, Madison got two goals and an assist, but what an idiot I am, honestly. I just didn't think he would do it against Man United. <laughs> and Amy, do Manchester United stay on track uh, with their match against Everton away at Goodison Park? What's on track? They lost, they got, they got Oh, come on, Amy. Week. Come on. Hey, have you forgotten the four <laughs> oh, wins? Come on. Yes. Okay. Can they get back on track? Maybe that should have been the, uh, the statement, Tate. I'm always going to cheer for them. I just want to go back to the glory days. Um, you know, if you keep stringing wins together, the fans are happy. And obviously we climb the ladder, which is super important. Although I look at Liverpool sitting in ninth and I think, yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, it, it'll be tough. But I think if they, I think the bounce back can happen. Yes. And in addition to that Premier League action, don't forget La Liga continues from 6am Australian Eastern Daylight Time on Saturday morning with Osasuna hosting Valencia. You can see Real Madrid play City rivals Getafe at 6am Australian Eastern Daylight Time on Sunday, while Barcelona hosts Celta Vigo from 6am Australian Eastern Daylight Time on Monday. Thank you to Michael Bridges, Amy Duggan and Thomas Sorensen for joining us on the Gegen Pod this week. Regardless of where you listen, make sure to rate us five stars and subscribe. I'm your host, Teo Pelizzeri. This was the Optus Sport Football Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Gegen Pod.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.